Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. I pray that he may grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power in your inner being through the Spirit, and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you, being rooted and firmly established in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width and height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. This morning, it's such a privilege to open the scriptures with you from our incredible venue in Bankers Hill. Hope you enjoy the setting this morning. We've been making our way through Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, which in our Bibles is entitled Ephesians. Ephesus was a city on the west coast of Asia Minor, and it was known as the first and greatest metropolis of Asia. Many Jews lived in the city, and it was here that the first seeds of the gospel were sown immediately after Pentecost. And as we've worked through the letter, we see that Paul reveals both theologically and practically the fullness of life available to us in Jesus, the kingdom life that he gives to us. And he gives a stunning declaration of the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus Christ. And then he explains how this has profound relational and practical implications. Who we are and how we engage God and how we connect to and relate with one another. Before we continue on into the remaining chapters of Ephesians, what I want to do today is pause and zoom out and take a bit of a macro look at the letter so that as a church community, we not only work our way through it and read it, but hopefully are able to do so in a way that we truly digest it and remember it and how to apply it to our faith in Jesus. So I hope that today is going to be helpful in giving us tools to grab hold of this beautiful portion of Scripture. Watchman Nee, the renowned Chinese theologian and church leader of the 1900s, wrote a short book or a manifesto on Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And it can be summed up in three simple words. Sit, walk, stand. In fact, this is the title of his book, and in it he suggests that the significance and the structure of Ephesians can be understood through these profoundly simple invitations, these three verbs, sit, walk, stand. 
And he argues that through these invitations, we can not only experience God's love, but we can also then animate our faith in Jesus Christ. We can give oxygen to our faith or flesh on the bones of our faith in Jesus. I believe, however, that he fails to include an incredibly important invitation that we see extended to us in Ephesians. An invitation that also positions us to experience God's love and animate our faith. And that is the invitation to kneel. We read it this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. And so what we're going to do is we're going to add this to Watchman Nee's list. And if you remember anything from today, remember these four verbs. Sit, kneel, walk, stand. Sit, kneel, walk, stand. We're going to work through each one of them and discuss how and discover how they locate us theologically and practically so that we can experience God's love and be people that bring life to our faith, that animate our faith and breathe on our faith as we follow Jesus, as we are a people, like we say at Light Church, who are with Jesus, who become like Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit as he sharpens us and shapes us and then are the type of people who do the very things that Jesus would do if he were us. Okay, so firstly, sit. To the church in Ephesus, which is the economic mother city of Asia, known both for its population and its influence, Paul summarizes the gospel, which is the good news of Jesus. And he explains how it redefines every area of our lives. You see, the, the good news of Jesus, who Christ is and what he has done, comes to bear on all things. It comes to bear in all areas of our heart, in every room of our homes, in each corner of our workplace, in every inch of our community. The good news of Jesus Christ comes to bear on all things, in all practice and all speech. So the gospel redefines everything through the love of God. In Wuthering Heights, which is one of my most favorite classics, Emily Bronte writes about a type of love that goes through a person and changes them. And she says that like wine through water, it alters the color of the mind. The love of God goes through and through us and alters it. Like wine through water, we are changed by the atoning blood of Jesus. In him and through his love for us, we are given a totally new, enduring identity. This is one of the key things that is redefined by the good news of Jesus, who we are. And Paul lays, lays out everything that we receive in him and everything that we become because of God's love for us. So we have to turn back in Ephesians, right to chapter 1. We can read from verse 3 to 14 what it is that God does for us and how he redefines our identity. It says this, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us 
in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we, we were predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will so that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were also sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to, to the praise of his glory. In Jesus, we are given a whole new identity by God's extravagant grace, and it's through faith in Christ. Friends, like an echo throughout his letter, Paul tells us with strength and conviction and emphasis that we are seated in him. We are seated in Jesus Christ, the son of the living God. If we were to take the structure of an ancient language and then translate it into a word document, I believe this is what it would look like. In him, in capitals, bold, italicized, Underlined, exclamation point. Friends, we are seated in him. Maybe you need to receive that anew today or to hear it as if you are hearing it for the very first time. We are not seated in our failures. We are not seated in our disappointment, our shame, our regret, or our trauma. We are ultimately seated in the living God. And he seats us in the truth of who he is. And we then are defined by his character and his nature and his love for us. These first chapters in Ephesians are like an anthem to all that God has lavished on us through Jesus. The extravagant grace, goodness, mercy, life and lavish love of God. Or, as Paul writes, every spiritual blessing. In chapter 1, Paul reveals the pinnacle for us of God's grace. And it's this, that we are not only justified, but we are also adopted. And we're adopted by the good pleasure of God's will. J.R. Packer says, that adoption is the highest privilege of the gospel. The traitor is forgiven, brought in for supper, and given the family name, 
To be right with God the judge is a great thing, but to be loved and cared for by God the Father is even greater. In his great love for you, God has brought you in. He has given you the family name. You are adopted by God, and it's by his good pleasure that this is the case. I think sometimes we forget this, that it's the good pleasure of the father to bring us into his family. In ancient culture, adoption would legally ensure three irrevocable realities for the one who is brought into the family. Sonship, significance, and succession. This is important because Paul would want us to know that in Jesus Christ, we too enjoy these same realities. And they are things that an ancient audience would know immediately, intrinsically, according to their legal system. But it's, it's things that we need to look at and remember anew. So I want to say a very quick word on each one of them. Firstly, we receive sonship. We are sons of God. The name of Christ is bestowed upon those whom he adopts, and we now bear his name. Significance. He has given us the honor of his reputation. And so who we belong to now in Jesus Christ is of far greater significance than anything else, including where we were born, to whom we were born, and under what circumstances we were born. Finally, succession. In Christ, we become the line of God's rule across the earth. And instead of inheriting the family trust fund or lack thereof, our great inheritance is that we are God's successors. We join the work of his family business. And we are invited, like him, by the power of his Holy Spirit at work in us to make all things new. To sit, is that active or passive language? If you are a little bit of an English nerd like I am, you will know that to sit is passive. Friends, we are justified freely by God's grace. It's the divine activity of God. We are seated in Christ and we are sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the promise of our inheritance to come. Romans chapter 3 verse 22 says that we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So in the midst of unveiling this incredible mystery, the mystery of Jesus Christ, let us remember that it is the work of God. It's the divine activity of God. Now, what's really interesting is that in the midst of this beautiful mystery of Jesus, Paul prays that we would have a revelation of God's love that we would see the hope that we have in Christ and the rich treasure of our inheritance in him. After all, because of Jesus, we have been transferred from one reality to another by God's love. We were enslaved and now in Christ, seated in him, we are free. We have been transferred from death in Jesus Christ to life because of who he is. Friends, we are seated in him. Secondly, kneel. Ephesians chapter 3 verse 14, we read it earlier. For this reason, 
and kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. And Paul says, I pray that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power in your inner being through his spirit and that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. I pray that you being rooted and firmly established in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the length and width, height and depth of God's love and to know Christ's love that surpasses knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This is Paul's second prayer to the church in Ephesus, which we read in this letter. And what does he say? He says, for this reason, I kneel before the Father. For this reason, I kneel. Considering the mystery of Jesus and God's power in Christ, considering the hope of our calling in him and the wealth of his glorious inheritance, considering his immeasurable greatness and power toward us, considering the mighty work of his strength, considering God, Paul kneels before the Father. And remember that Paul is writing this letter to the church in the dirt in a prison cell and he brings himself to his knees in the presence of the father in ancient culture a name revealed one's character and nature and so father was not only a term of intimacy but it was also a term of deep reverence a term that required obedience and respect and reverence the father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, the one who creates, knows, names, and exercises dominion over all people and all places. Commentators tell us that kneeling was not the normal posture for Jews to take when they were praying. And in fact, Jews usually stood to pray, lifting their hands to God. Yet before the father, Paul kneels. Paul kneels in reverence and deference to God. He kneels in humility and in utter dependence. And here he prays what many argue is the boldest prayer ever to be prayed, that God's people would be strengthened by the inner reinforcement of the Holy Spirit and that God would take up permanent residency in our hearts, not as a renter, but an owner, permanent residency in our hearts, and that we would be the type of people who then are able to comprehend the incomprehensible, which is the length and width, width and height and depth and extravagance of God's love. He prays that we would begin to comprehend the incomprehensible, which is the love of God for us, his people. He prays, a number of things then in response to God's love. He firstly asks that God's love would be our foundation, that we would be people who know that we are seated in Jesus, that we would know we are firmly rooted in God's love, and that everything else would be built upon this defining truth. He asks and he prays that God's love would be the foundation of our lives. Secondly, he prays that we would comprehend God's love. 
This is really to say he, he prays that we would seize or take hold of God's love, that we would catch God's love, that we would invite our imaginations into the joy of being loved by God. He asks that we would comprehend the love of God. And then finally, he prays that we would experience God's love. And this knowing is an all-encompassing experience. And it's an experiential knowing. It's knowing with our whole beings, our heart, our soul, our strength, our emotions, our intellect, our, our physicality, our spirituality, that we would know God's love. Why? Why does he pray this? Well, he says that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. What a prayer. What a bold, robust prayer that we would be filled to the full measure of who God is. Filled with the fullness with, of God himself. What's interesting is that to be filled is the divine passive. It's a present, ongoing work that is accomplished by God alone. Neil, friends, may we be a people like Paul who kneel before the Father in reverence and dependence and humility, kneeling before the Father whom everyone on earth is named. Considering the mystery of Jesus Christ, we kneel before God. We kneel in order to be strengthened and filled with his, with his love that we might then be people who walk worthy of the calling that we have received in him. And this brings us to our third verb, walk. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 begins with Paul saying, Therefore, I, the prisoner in the Lord, urge you to walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Or, as Isaiah says in chapter 2 verse 3 of Isaiah, he will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his paths. What we see then as Paul continues this letter to the church in Ephesus in chapter 4 and 5, he then urges the, the people of God to respond to the gospel by detailing the ways that the good news of Jesus should affect the holy, ordinary rhythms of everyday life. It's as if he's saying, considering everything that has come before, considering the stunning reality that I have laid out before you, Live the new life. Live the new life that Jesus has given to you. Why? Well, chapter 4, verse 13 says that we might reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature that is measured by Christ's fullness. He continues then, if this is the case, we will no longer be tossed about by waves, blown around by every wind of teaching or deceit, but rather what we will do is grow into the image of him who is the head of the church. We will become those people, like we say again and again, who are not only with God, but become like him. Live the new life. Go then and do the things that Jesus would do. Walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling that you have received in Christ Jesus. 
and grow into the fullness of his image, lacking nothing. Live the abundant life. And when we live this way, what we really do is we embody our faith. We then animate those incalculable riches of Christ's love towards us. And we make known to the world around us God's multifaceted wisdom. In fact, this is what Paul says in chapter 3, verse 10, that we can make known what God is like to the world, that he does this through the church, through his people. Walk worthy of the calling that you have received. Live in such a way that together, as God's people, we can collectively and individually proclaim Christ with all of our lives. And we can be, like Paul says in Ephesians, partners in the promise of Christ. You know, I love Paul because he pulls no punches. Complications arise the moment there is more than one person in the room. We all know this to be true. And when this happens, Paul urges us, the people of God, to what? To bear with one another, to make every effort, its work to keep the unity of the Spirit one for us by Jesus. This takes sacrificial love, which is the kind of love that Jesus first showed to us. We bear with one another. As God's people, we are to patiently endure with one another. We are to commit to living in what we read in the scriptures is the bond of peace, the joining and the stabilizing ligaments that make Christ's body function as it should. Peace. We walk in the bond of peace, the things that stabilize and join the people of God as we walk our faith together. Very practically then what Paul does is he explores what this might look like in three key relationships. Husbands and wives, children and parents, bondservants and masters. And it really is the application of the gospel in our most intimate relationships of the home. It's those places and those spaces where we really have a knack and a way of rubbing up against each other or rubbing each other the wrong way. These are our most tested relationships. And Paul shows us very practically what it might look like to walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel in even the most trickiest spaces. And do you know what he says? This is what it looks like. Mutual submission. Preferring one another in love. Outdoing one another in honor. That's essentially what he says. It's mutual submission to one another. Our relationships should lovingly and sacrificially draw one another up and into the fullness of who Jesus is and who we are in him. So to live the new life of Jesus requires that we are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do so. So not only does Paul pray that we be filled with the fullness of God, but in chapter 5, he commands that we be filled with the Spirit. He repeats it, this present divine passive imperative, which is really just the ongoing vital work of God in us. It's the divine activity of God. Makoto Fujimura is a Boston-born Japanese artist who works in the Nihonga tradition. And it's a form of art that dates back 
to medieval Japan, and it emphasizes the beauty of natural materials, materials like gold leaf, oysters, azurite, and malachite. And in this tradition, these materials are literally broken down. They are pulverized by hand into a fine powder. And then this is then mixed with a bonding agent and is applied to handmade paper. Any one of Fujimura's pieces contain at least 80 to 100 layers, which don't dry quickly like acrylic paints. And Fujimura calls it slow art. You can just imagine how painstakingly slow this process must be. And during the, the layering process, these one-dimensional colors literally trap light. And what they do then is they create prismatic and refractive surf surfaces. And so what is actually one-dimensional takes on a whole nother reality in that process of trapping light. And while his art is abstract, it's never cold. In fact, he says that it's the kind of art that is about hope, healing, redemption, and refuge. He says that it brushes against the edge of mystery and invites us in and asks us to trust that there is order behind the chaos and that there is grace behind the pain. And I really believe that Fujimura's work stands as a metaphor for us because the truth is, is that we too can be pulverized by life's experiences. We can feel at times that we are broken down by pain and suffering and disappointment. But in Christ, in Jesus, we are the handiwork of the Holy Spirit, expressions of transformation. And so bit by bit, we too are layered. And we are led with the light and the love of God as we encounter the Father, as we encounter the person of Christ, and he becomes embedded in the layers of our lives. It's us becoming more and more like him, and this gets manifest in our hearts through his grace towards us. So while Fujimura's work, layer by layer, quite literally traps light, as the work of God, we we stand as these emblems of, of who Christ is in the world. As we are filled by the Spirit, we too are the slow art of God. We become the new humanity, promises of hope, healing, and redemption in Him, invited to trust that there is order in the chaos and beauty behind the pain. We are a pulverized people that reflect the beauty and the goodness of God. And we do this amidst the chaos, amidst the broken, and we live the cruciform life. After all, at the center of all things is Christ Jesus. He is our pulverized king. He was broken for our wholeness. At the center of the universe is the greatest pain that produces eternal life. For all. As God's people who walk worthy of the calling, promises of slow art, we should, as Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 says, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave us in Jesus. We bear with one another, we are patient with one another, and we become with one another. Sit, kneel, 
walk, and finally, stand. Paul closes his letter to the church with with a note on Christian warfare or endurance. And what does he say? He tells us to take up our position and stand. He urges us, stand therefore. And if I had to pull out that word document again, I would have the word stand written in bold, italicized, underlined with an exclamation point. He's like he's saying to us, do not move, do not back down, do not turn away, do not relent, but endure and conquer as you do. Stand, stand therefore in the strength and revelation of God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand on and in his love. Stand in the riches of his glory. Stand upon the one who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think. Stand. In every situation, Paul says that we must take up the shield of faith, which can then extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, ancient Roman shields were not like the ones that we buy for our kids' ministry and we have to like kind of hide behind. They were these enormous wooden shields larger than any man. In warfare, attacking armies, we, we, we read of, of history, would shoot flaming arrows to effectively burn and then destroy defending cover. But what the Romans did is they developed a really unique defense system. What each soldier would do is they would take these enormous wooden shields and they would soak them in water until they were drenched. And then they would take up their position They would link arms and they would stand. And what this meant is that as those fiery darts came, there would ultimately be no substance to burn. Soaked in water, this human armadillo equivalent became impenetrable, provided that each person took up their position, held their ground, and did not break rank. So to conquer and to overcome, we soak ourselves in the one who is God. We take up our position, we link arms, and we stand. We soak our shield of faith in the Spirit who strengthens the inner recesses of our being. And we stand shoulder to shoulder with our brothers and sisters in the faith. We stand on the love of God and the immeasurable power of his greatness. Sit, kneel, walk, stand. By grace, through faith, we are seated in Christ. Our life is joined to him. Considering the mystery of Jesus, we are then invited to be ones who, like Paul, bend our knees and bow before the Father, testifying that we depend upon his love. We depend upon him. We revere him as the one true king. And we invite the Holy Spirit to fill us to all fullness of God that we might be able to live the new life and walk in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. And then we stand and we endure with joy that we might receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And as I close today, I, would, I really would love to just say, I believe that out of these, these four verbs, 
sit, kneel, walk, stand. We really need to be a people who kneel. We bow our knee to the Father because it's when we bow our knee, even if it's in the chaos, in the prison cell, in the dirt, in that place of dependence and reverence before God, we receive who we are in Him. We can become strengthened in the inner recesses of who we are and empowered to walk the life of faith, to animate our faith and then endure no matter what might come our way. And so I pray for us, Light Church, that we would be a people who kneel. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that we are seated in Christ. We ask that through the grace of your ministry towards us, we might have the courage again and again to bend our knee before you and to declare that, God, we are dependent on you. We revere you and we are in need of your love. We open ourselves to the work of your spirit in our lives. And we ask that we would be your people that tell of who you are in the world by the way that we walk. And we ask that our testimony would be one of faithful, joyful endurance. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in San Diego, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.